and welcome back to another edition of the One Giant Podcast, where I am Adam Armbrecht, and over there is a very happy, very content, jovial almost, Andy Makowitz. Adam, I woke up this morning, took the dog out for a walk. It was about 55 degrees. The chill was in the air. And you know what the first thing I thought of? Mm. Is it time for fall beers? That was the first thing that came to my mind. You know what? Nothing. Last night it was nice and cool. And it just, you open the windows and you get, it's not officially fall yet, but you're getting that crisp air in the window. Courtney doesn't appreciate it because she's, you know, cold-blooded. She needs the blankets wrapped around her at night. But I slept like an angel a little oh. cherub a little cherub was i sir it's the best it's almost time for apple picking season i don't know how you feel about pumpkin spice lattes but people go crazy over them and they mm-hmm. love them oh, we're getting a good old-fashioned feeling anyway the bottom line is as we know the giants came off that loss on monday night it's the middle of the week and that means the injury report came out for big blue and here's some news and notes for you andy tell me how these hit you Obviously, Golden Tate, who missed the game with a hamstring injury, was still limited during the team's walkthrough. They also had uh, Carter Coughlin, my boy, who played 12 special team snaps, had a couple of nice tackles in there, feather in my cap. I'm I'm big on him. But he also was added to the injury report with a hamstring. I think you're going to probably see things like this because of the lack of preseason games. These guys are still getting full-blown NFL game shape. So hamstring there, he didn't practice. And then Tay Crowder, the rookie linebacker who was inactive uh, and mispracticed last week with another hamstring injury, was listed as a full participant. Thoughts on that, Andy, from the injury report standpoint? Uh, Golden Tate, surprising that he still didn't play? Yeah, I mean, it's not surprising that Tate is still limited. I think if he was not going to show up on the injury report, he would have played on Monday Night Football, right? We're only two days past that. I think... It, it is concerning. It actually makes me wonder whether or not he's going to be a go, uh, you know, against the Bears coming up on Sunday. It, it, we really need that extra threat on the outside. You know, Slayton yeah. showed out and it was great, but now teams are going to hone in on that. And having another guy that can stretch the field a little bit is, is you know, of the utmost importance. Yeah, no, for sure. So, it'll again, a veteran player, right, a little bit older. So the younger guys get a hamstring injury, you think. Maybe not the biggest deal in the world, um, but Tate, listen, now this is effectively turning into another suspension. You, you got to gotta, pay attention here. You start missing another couple of games to start the year, I'll, I'll really start to lose my, uh, my luster on that contract we gave you. All right, so obviously in the middle of the week, the injury report comes out, and now we get into any of those conversations. The head coach is going to give you some news and notes, as a few of the players will as well. The big thing that I liked is the uh, Joe Judge report is now officially the feature that the Giants will be doing every week. So did a great job breaking down some plays, which were a lot of fun to see that step-by-step process that they go through, especially on the offensive side, where it looked like he really had a heck of a ball going over the top there to Darius Slayton on that touchdown pass uh, early in the game, an early lead that unfortunately didn't last for for the Giants. Yeah, you know, the interesting thing about that is when, when you hear a little bit more about the timing of the play and exactly where the ball needs to go, and, uh, you know, Daniel Jones needing to step up in the pocket and still make that throw on time. I mean, it, it was literally perfect. It was to the point where if they ran that in practice and they threw that exact same ball and, and had that same pitch and catch, they'd say, okay, let's move on to the next next drill. We don't need to see that ever again. That's ready to go, you know, tailor-made in the pocket. You know, out, outside of that, the other note that we said was uh, Daniel Jones talked to the media a little bit. And, you know, he took responsibility for a lot of the things that happened. And one of the questions that they asked him was, on that rollout play, you know, looking to the back of the end zone, trying to make a play, you know, Bud Dupree, Dupree gets his arm and, and, and the ball's intercepted. They asked him what he was trying to do with it. And he said, 
he was trying to throw it away. And, you know, he realizes he needs to get that ball out faster. The decision needs to be quicker than what it was. And I, I don't know. To me, Adam, that, that seemed like it was the right answer. And we can all just say, okay, let's move on. The the other interesting, I think, you talk about player commentary around this, a lot of positives. But I, I will say that Saquon Barkley in his interview, uh, he seems pretty pretty down. Now, based on what we know about his personality and who he is as a player, I think he's down on himself because he's not going to look at the offensive line in front of him and say that it's their problem. He believes in his talent to the point where no matter what it looks like in front of me, I want to make the big play. But he seems a little bit dejected. And, uh, you know, I have the concern around year number three now. You really want – you want Barkley to feel like this is the place you want to be to be setting setting the standards and, and making the big records and breaking the big records. And I just worry about this is a very fine line you're walking if it's going to be a shaky run-blocking offensive line in front of him again for the third year. Well, again, you know, we don't want to put too much blame and heap it on certain players in, in certain instances. But at the same time, Saquon literally was getting the ball in the backfield and he was looking at three or four different Pittsburgh Steelers in his face behind the line of scrimmage. You know, there was a, there was a stat that uh, the average was over a yard in the backfield was when they were making first contact with him. And that is not on Saquon Barkley. When we talk about like yards after contact and different things like that, like that's players being able to make plays and move along. If mm-hmm. you're saying that there is a Pittsburgh Steeler in his face before he even gets back to the line of scrimmage, you almost sit there and say like, what's the point? Of, yeah. of him r- dropping back and handing the ball off five yards behind the line of scrimmage. Like it doesn't make sense. And you know, he's, he was very um, diplomatic in the way that he approached it. He didn't care about his own personal statistics. He cares about the team success and being able to contribute. But, but you know, deep down inside, he's like, guys, just give me like a yard or two of space yeah. so I can try to make something happen. Like you, you don't even see him being the athletic sick one. He, he is, he's, he's basically ducking and covering before he gets hit. Well, you know what? And I talk with uh, Pessimistic Mike. I'm, I'm determined to make this kind of like a known commodity around the podcast. And he was saying on that one play, and I'll forget where it was in the game, when it looked like Barkley could have broken it out to the left side and found a hole and had a burst, and he actually cut it up in. And you go, boy, you know, you wonder, oh, is he is he missing the holes here a little bit too? But I think that that's that cumulative effect, right? When you're getting met in the backfield so many times, eventually at a certain point, even when you think you see the opening, you go, yeah, but they've been there. They've been there every single time. Every time I try to go there, let's make sure I get these three or four yards because that's how rough this particular game. I don't think this is a season-long thing. They're going to have bright spots behind this line. But in this particular game, man, I've been getting hit. I've been getting hit. I finally can give us a positive first down you know, step here. I'm not going to mix that up by sidestepping, getting, you know, moving four yards back to try to get 20 yards north. You also don't know if that was a coaching staff kind of in his head saying, hey, listen, it's going to be tough sledding. You just got to take the yards that they're going to give you. If we can grind out three, four, five yards, put Daniel Jones in a better position, then we're going to be doing great. Because right now, these negative two yards, looking for seams, all this stuff, like maybe you just need to run it up the gut. So he may see a window, but he knows that, that they need to get five or seven yards and and that's what he's thinking more than how do I make a game breaking play? Yeah, yeah, probably. So again, not it's not over. This is an overreaction. That's not what we want to be doing uh, on the episodes throughout the week leading up to the next matchup. But something to keep an eye on, Andy. Yes, but Adam, <laughs> you talked about Saquon Barkley being bummed. You yeah. know who was also bummed about Saquon Barkley's performance? Oh, this is where we get into my the new featured segment as the birds migrate south for winter. We check in on the tweets and social media. 
Ah, yes. And that man is Tiki Barber. The legend. Former New York Giant legend. Broadcasting legend. Feels like he only pops up when he has something negative to say about the New York Giants. Um, I, I think it has to do with him not winning a championship here. I, I could be wrong. But, um, you know, Tiki Barber came out and basically said, you know, it's getting to the point where I don't know if Saquon Barkley is a three down back. He doesn't want to hit anyone. He doesn't yeah. want to block. And so, you know, it, strong words, fierce words from Tiki being a national media guy, not just some guy sitting on his couch anymore. What, what were your thoughts on Tiki's uh, criticism of Saquon? Uh, yeah, I, I think that the problem that you run into is when a, it's not specific to Tiki. When you switch over to the media side of things, you need to separate yourself from your playing days so you maybe go in on somebody a little bit harder than you normally would. There's also that factor, at least from a fan's perspective, where you think he feels like he's never gotten the full love from the fan base in his post-playing career. He came right out and ripped Eli Manning before he goes on to win a Super Bowl. And I just think, I don't know, maybe it's guttural, but there's a bitter taste there, I think, in Tiki's mouth. Specific to his comments around Barkley, here's the thing. First of all, the NFL is different now, so I don't know if even the most elite backs are really three-down backs necessarily. I I think that you want to keep a little bit of a rotation and keep your guys healthy. That's a part of it. And then when he's speaking to the idea about the the pass blocking, there were a couple of big misses there for for Barkley in the game. He had a couple of, of bad plays there, and there's something there. And maybe you can hold that to him, but I need to know what the offensive line is doing and how that works in tandem with what the expectations are for Barkley. Ah, yes. Tiki Barber, when he was in the league for three years and had 258 yards in, in that, you know, age, whatever, 25, 24, 25 years. <laughs> like yelling and screaming about, about Saquon Barkley not being a three down back. Let's also not forget that Tiki Barber was questioned for a while about not being a three down back maybe not even being a running back at all because he couldn't hold onto the ball. And he literally had to change his running style with it, with his hand on the ball. T- to me, it, it's bizarre. Tom Coughlin, shout out. Yeah. Shout, shout out, shout out TC. You know, that was, yeah. that was a big move on his part. I, That's right. You know, t- to me, the whole thing with, with Tiki Barber is kind of confounding, you know, like I- instead of being a guy in the media that, you know, kind of is a little bit biased about the team that, is the only team he ever played for in his career where he rushed, you know, six straight years for a thousand yards, had some love. He comes out and just decides that he wants to be the lightning rod and he wants to be the controversial person, uh, uh, you know, against the giants. You said mm-hmm. it about Eli Manning. You said he wasn't, he wasn't a leader. He wasn't going to win anything. Guess what? The year after Tiki Barber leaves, they win the Super Bowl. Like that, that happens. And, and then this one comes out. He had a problem just, with Tom Coughlin too, didn't he? After he retired? Well, well, the big thing is he also left. He, he had over 1,000 yards. He was 31 years old. The Giants were a good team. And then, like, he started hearing everyone say, well, you're great in interviews. Like, you could just, like, not get hit anymore and make millions of dollars and be on, like, a morning show. Decided to leave, criticized the Giants, and then lost out on his career in the morning because he wasn't that good at, at being, like, a morning personality. And the most ironic thing is that Michael Strahan ends up taking that job. And it's like the most beloved person. I was just about to say that like Strahan, who's had this almost as prolific a television career as he had as a player. Like he does his Sunday football coverage. He also does morning talk show. Like his spectrum has been so wide ranging. And by the way, he critiques the Giants on Sunday when he's giving his analysis. You know, says they didn't look good in the first half. They need to do better here. They need to do better there. Like, he's honest. He's direct. 
And yet it, it comes across as someone who's being, and this is probably the biggest thing too, which maybe some people just seem more, more one side of this or the, or, or the other. It just doesn't seem like Tiki's being genuine, you know, authentic, right? It doesn't seem like it's coming from an authentic place. If you're critiquing and it, it sounds like you're being just real and honest about it, listen, I may not like it, but I, I can understand it. Give me your perspective. Everything that comes, and by the way, this is also beyond just the Giants. I generally don't enjoy his radio show. I have it broken down. Oof. I have no psych, psych degree or anything else, but I can tell you flat out, it, it basically is two things. One, he's a little bitter. The Giants won two titles right after he left. It, 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 there's no other way around the fact that that has to hurt him deeply and yeah. that like Brandon Jacobs and Bradshaw end up like being like lauded more than him. Right. Ring of fame, baby. Right. Right. And then, and then the second piece of it is, you know, Tiki Barber is one of the greatest giants in terms of stats on paper. He holds multiple, you know, rushing records for the New York giants, if not the majority of them at this point. And now you have everyone anointing Saquon Barkley as the greatest giant running back ever, even though he's only in the league for three years, was hurt last year and is struggling in coverage. Yet people are saying like he's the best. Tiki is now even more frustrated because he's like, "Did you guys forget that I had a ten-year career here and I rushed for over a thousand yards like six or seven times? Like, right. what, why are you forgetting about me?" So this feels almost like a little bit of a shot to be like, "I didn't get the Super Bowls and now you're forgetting that I was the best." A- another fascinating stat, Adam, yeah, huh? is about our man Darius Slayton. He's my boy. He looked great. Two touchdowns. The first one was amazing. You know, second one was a little bit in at the end of the game in, in a little bit of garbage time. But an interesting stat. Darius Slayton has 10 receiving touchdowns since week five of last year. Do you know where that ranks him, Adam? You know what, Andy? If I had to guess, he's somewhere in the middle of the number one. That is correct. He That's is right, the number buddy. one wide receiver in touchdown catches since week five of last year. Now, thank for you for the- telling me the stat before we start recording. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I like to, I like to feel, you know, I like to feel confident. I yes, you, get to, you get to say it with a fist pump, say it with authority. And, and, and the reason why that's important is because all of last year, people are like, Oh, well, it, can he sustain this? Is it a fluke? He's a fifth round draft pick. It, it's a lot of garbage time. It's a yeah. lot of, you know, and, and all of a sudden now you look and you're like, all right, we're coming up on week two of 2020. Like that's almost a full year. And, you know, he's leading the league since week five. To me, that seems like a relatively significant stat for giant fans to get excited about at least. Right. Well, and you know what, um, to be candid about it. If you think about the things we talked about from week one, you think about last year, um, you know, is Shepard a great piece? A hundred percent. Do we, th- do I, do I think that he's a number one talent? If he can stay healthy, probably, but he's at his ups and downs. We didn't have Golden Tate this week. We didn't have Golden Tate for games last week, right? Uh, last season, excuse me. He's doing a lot, Darius Slayton, on a team that is in a state of flux, on a team that doesn't have necessarily consistent off- offensive line play, on a team that, as much as we like him and we believe in him, has a second-year quarterback playing in just 13 total starts now in his career. Friendly reminder to people that want to get on him about the red zone interception. You know, He's really impressing in a way that I think maybe people are overlooking given where he was drafted and what the circumstances are around him right now on this roster. So I'm ecstatic about it. 
I, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna go overload and say he's a true pure number one. Watch yourself. He may be benefiting from how defenses are choosing to play against the Giants, you know, on a week to week basis. As the example, Mike Tomlin said in his post game conversation, we we made the choice. We're gonna go against the run. We're gonna bottle up Saquon Barkley. He's the most dangerous weapon. We're gonna end up exposing ourselves a little bit in the secondary, and we're gonna have to live with that. So did he probably face some better one-on-one matchups than he maybe typically could? Sure. But guess what? Just like, not to be redundant, Evan Ingram drops the key ball when you need him to catch it. Darius Slayton's catching him. He's getting that nice ball on the inside hash marks in the end zone for a 41-yard strike from Daniel Jones, right? He's doing the job. So all you can do is judge the guy by what you're seeing on the field. And right now, it's pretty darn exciting with what he's accomplished already in his very young game. By the way, he didn't even come on super early last season. It took him a little bit of time to get into his rhythm. So you talk about, you know, second first game of the second season, you're really only in probably an even smaller sample size window as far as when he's accomplished this. Yeah, it really is incredible that he's kind of come on. That's why week five is, is the stat. You know, mm-hmm. come, think, think about it. He is 23 years old. Um, and, and so, you know, he comes on week five. That's why that stat is relevant. That's really when he started getting real snaps and real playing time, you know, Adam, you know, when we talk about the giants wide receiver position, there is one little side note, side nugget as we, as we clean up this week that we need to talk about. And And that is our old friend, our old best friend, Odell Beckham Jr. OBJ. The Browns got destroyed by the Ravens and to make it worse, they're down the whole game and they need to throw the ball. And our man Odell Beckham has three catches for 22 yards in the entire game. And I'm, I don't know how to feel about it. Like I, I've gone from, you know, loving Odell Beckham to kind of questioning why he's going on. like, TV with little Wayne saying that he doesn't like Eli Manning. You know, sorry, real quick here. It's the same way that I thought, because oddly enough, uh, there was an album where Weezer featured little Wayne on a track. And I I felt the same thing. I thought, boy, that's an odd way to go about this. I don't think it's the best way to sell records. I don't know what the crossover of genres and artists is there. And while OBJ and little Wayne are probably a lot closer in terms of age and cultural experiences and musical tastes, it didn't seem like the best uh, uh, assistant in that particular interview process, not to belabor the past. Yeah, it's just, it, you know, and, and you have that conversation and then he gets shipped out and then it's the Giants just wanted me to go die here. But like we have the best team on the planet in Cleveland. And then they implode last year with all the talent that they have. And they go into this year and it's been a year and now a game and Baker Mayfield and Odell Beckham aren't on the same page. And, while we could talk about the X's and O's as to why Baker Mayfield is, that's probably for the Browns to do, not necessarily for us. Yeah. What I think is more important is there are reports that the Browns are now shopping Odell Beckham Jr. And, and naturally, um, you know, there's a bunch of teams that are out there that uh, are the odds on favorites. One of them being the Patriots for his relationship with Cam Newton, San Francisco, who definitely needs a wide receiver. The Eagles, who potentially could use a wide receiver, but there is that little chatter about like once a giant, always oh, a giant. giant. I mean, Adam, how would you feel if the Giants gave up a third and a fifth round pick to bring Odell back to New York? <laughs> well, I mean, listen, a third and a fifth. 
We're getting into some interesting waters there. Uh, listen, it, it's funny. You talked about how, how your mind wraps around OBJ from when we get him to the progress and where he ends up. You know, the, the funny thing is, like, it's, it was never a problem off the field. He wasn't one of those kind of character issue guys, that, you know, the popular term that gets thrown around and certainly more familiar to people uh, given Baker, DeAndre Baker's experience this season, um, in this offseason. I, I think really what my big takeaway about it at the time and then going forward was, you know, do, do true number one wide receivers, do elite generational talents, are they able to do phenomenal things like the one-handed catch going into the end zone against the Cowboys? Of course they are. But they don't win you championships necessarily. There's not a guarantee there with that. And it's almost funny that we you, know, you bring up Darius Slayton and what he's accomplished – that's the easy correlation where you go, listen, and that's, I'm not, this isn't me telling you we have the next OBJ and Darius Slayton. What it's telling me is, though, I got this guy in the fifth round and he has a natural skill set and we can utilize that. These number one and early round guys, I, I think, can really end up being a hampering because the Giants signed up that really big contract. And then you go, oh, geez, that's a lot of money, though. And we're about to rebuild. Do we really want to do that? So, uh, sorry, and I, maybe that's a little bit of a side tangent on, on on this conversation. The simple thing for me is I almost do feel a little bit bad for, for OBJ because now you're talking about getting into 26, 27, 28-year-old kind of territory. And guess what? The prime of your career is fading, and you're not in a great position to try to achieve some of your football-related goals, which, by the way, I think he legitimately does want to be one of the greatest receivers in NFL history. I think he does care about winning. And unfortunately, he's in a bad spot. And that is a partially due to his own actions and his own attitude around things that end up being like, all right, you want you want to be a little bit of a malcontent? We're not going to send you to LA. We're not going to send you to San Francisco. We're going to send you to Cleveland, one of the most dysfunctional franchises in NFL history. And let's see how you survive that. In short, the long way around. No, I don't have any interest in trading any of our assets for a player like Beckham at this stage of his career, let alone in general. And it, you go back and talk about the Leonard Williams trade, and we we happen to like him and think we're going to like him on the team. Trading away assets. Then you get into the draft and you go, you know what would be great in the third round right now? If I had a pick to help solidify the offensive line or find that next piece on defense. So I don't give up those assets. I, I wish him nothing but the best in wherever he may go. Well, when you think about what we got in return for Odell Beckham, everyone said we got pennies on the dollar. Everyone said it was one of the worst trades. And when you look at Zeitler, he shored up the, the right guard position. You look at Peppers, mm-hmm. he's, our, he's a starting defensive player for us that also returns kicks. He was great in the return game. Um, you talk about the first-round pick. I believe that pick was used on Dexter Lawrence. Yes, I um, you know, who Who's now part of our – strongest unit which is our defensive line and you think to yourself like the giants would do that trade again like they, they oh would. in a heartbeat oh yeah but but think about what the what the what the backlash was at the moment that we traded odell like mm-hmm. i saw come across the wire i kind of hung my head i'm like well i you know i kind of figured he was he there was a shot of him getting out of there and there was never going to be a haul that you could get of of pieces and draft picks that you feel equate to odell beckham but now looking back like this is another one of those where it's like, okay, are we going to give credit where credit's due on, on the mastermind behind get, get, you know shipping him off and getting some assets in return? 
Yeah, for sure. And again, that's that's the idea that the NFL it really is a team game and it is the sum of the parts. Now, when you have the elite quarterbacks, that's the big X factor. When you have the Aaron Rodgers of the world, you know that your team can be exponentially more deficient in a lot of areas and he'll go ahead and clean that up for you. But that's that's what you know football is about. It's the sum of the parts. So when you can plug and it's funny, you and I talked about this, I think, too. Everyone's been, we've been using these terms, uh, plugging, plugging a hole. A lot, a lot of terms to get into right here. Um, you know, there's a difference between plugging a hole and then what really you find out is as you go to address the next issue, a leak, that, that leak resprings. But what you were able to do by trading away Beckham was plug a number of holes on your roster. And one year later, two years later, three years later, like now when you sit here, you go, we're not that we're we're not that much worse off in our receiving core than we were when we let him go, and that's how I think you evaluate this from a Giants perspective. And as you said, you know, going twenty six, twenty seven, Odell's going to be twenty eight at the beginning of November. So like it's it's getting later than I thought. Like you you forget that he had yeah, so many yeah. great years with us. You think he's still like a twenty five year old receiver. He's going to be twenty eight in a month and a half. Like that is crazy. Now, what I will say is, oddly enough, you know, I don't want to be, I don't want to be on both sides of the fence about it. But if everything happens a year sooner for New York and Jones has been drafted a year prior, you know, if everything moves up a, a, a year, you probably go in saying, and people talked about this, like, what if you had OBJ to pair with Daniel Jones? If you backed it up another year and everything happened that much quicker, you might say, let's see how he pairs with a young, you know, you're going to really think about it. Now, you don't want to taint the young quarterback. You don't want him to become an issue. But if you think there's real high value there, maybe things run out a little bit differently. A lot of it's timing about this and where Eli was in the comments and where the franchise is. So all those things play big factors, too. He can go somewhere off of Cleveland and they can get back, by the way, be really curious to see what they get in return if they choose to trade him. Uh he can go somewhere else and have success and be a big contributor to a championship. And honestly, all things considered, I hope that he does. Like, I don't have any ill will towards him. I hope he gets that opportunity. And I hope then in the post game and all those conversations that he's carrying himself like a 28 year old and not maybe closer to, you know, teen, teen tantrums, as we saw a lot with the giants. You the, wish uh, him well, unless you're disdain for Tiki Barber is, is what it comes down to. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Adam, you're showing to, your true colors. You're sure I'm gonna have to story. bring. <laughs> I'm gonna have to bring down the audio on that. That was uh, you caught me off guard there. Yeah, listen, I, I wish you well, like I wish so many past giants that have come and gone before. Um, listen, the act, the last thing that I'll end on that we can end on here, um, which isn't going to be as exciting and tantalizing as we hoped. You were talking about those reps uh, earlier, and I just wanted to. I, I managed to pull up the the snap counts for the Giants in Week One. And it's something we didn't really get into too much on our recap from the Steelers game. You go across the offensive line, I guess, if you want to uh, take a positive away. And what was a little bit of up and down game, you'd say, hey, they played all 68 of those offensive snaps across the front there. No swap outs. Nobody needed a breather. Um, you go in, though, to the tight end position. I thought it was interesting. You're talking about Caden Smith getting 43% of the snaps. Uh, Toyoloa also got 35% snaps. So, you know, those double tight end sets were certainly working. Heavy on Ingram, as we know, 94% of the snaps. So these are the kind of things that I, that are worth monitoring going into week two, right? Because if it's Jason Garrett on the offensive side, you start to think through where are we having success, where are we having difficulty, and what tweaks do you make? Now, it's matchup dependent, but you can start to monitor, especially at the tight end, Caden Smith moving up the line a little bit, and maybe you see Evan Ingram's come down a little just until 
you figure out the best best methodology of utilizing everybody without diminishing the value in run blocking or assisting in pass blocking as well. So, um, you know, do you had you had mentioned a couple of guys? I think defensively, right? Did you bring up you brought up Downs and what his ultimate percentage was on the defensive side of the ball? It was it was very very low. He he did not play as many snaps as as we would have. There he is. I got him for you. Twenty two percent. Only you know, so. And by the way, twenty two percent may sound high. It may, it almost sounds it makes it sound even lower when you go. That's fourteen snaps. Sixty four defensive snaps for the Giants. Sixty eight on the offensive side. He had just fourteen snaps. Now the nice thing is that situational value probably for for Downs, and you're saying that he has a function inside of this defense, which is good. But interesting that he wasn't there as much as we thought what we were hearing coming out of training camp. I'm just I'm scanning over these actively to just think about it. What, another one you want to talk about? How about Dalvin Tomlinson? 50% of the snaps, just 32 snaps out of the 64 defensive snaps. That's interesting to note because then you mix in Leonard Williams with 69%. You got Lawrence at 47. So you are talking about then you get listed as defensive ends here in this system. B.J. Hill, 30%, 34 for Marcus Golden. And you made this point, I think, via text message when we were just kind of rambling about this stuff throughout the week that, hey, welcome to rotational, situational football, right? This is what it's going to look like. I wouldn't expect, unlike the offensive side, where we can see some maybe adjustments there. Defensively, I think this is rotational cast based on what we want to accomplish on a particular down at a particular point in the game. Yeah, as we said, you're going to be rotating these guys in and out. I'm not surprised to see some 30 and 40% numbers for a lot of the defensive ends in the 3-4 that we play. You know, it's not necessarily that surprising on Tomlinson and Lawrence. I mean, you know, when you're on the defensive line, you're getting pounded for two or three plays and you got to take one off because you're literally engaging in every single play that you play. Leonard mm-hmm. Williams playing sixty nine percent. That's that's a that's a significant number. It shows that he's active and he wants to be out there. G- good conditioning. So like I'm I'm all for kind of the rotation that we have until we figure out exactly what the mix is that works the best for this team. Yeah, and I'll give you I'll give you here's now the the best and the brightest on the defensive side of the ball when you talk about reps. You know Bradbury's going to be out there basically all game. Guess what? A hundred percent. Every single snap he was out there. Another nice little bonus for you. Julian Love played every single defensive snap. So you like that they were utilizing him deep, you know, in coverage to the safety position, putting him in great positions. He's out there a hundred percent of the time. As is Blake Martinez. Only missing one play coming off the field was Peppers. How about Carter playing in 98%, 63 out of the 64 snaps? So these are some of the things, and specifically around Carter, I love that stat. Lorenzo Carter being on the field for all but one defensive snap tells me that in year number three, he did it over training camp. You saw it in the game on Monday night. This guy really is. This guy is primed to have that big breakout year. And while I still like O'Shane Eximenez, Different perspective here internally for the New York football Giants. I think they really are believing in him under Patrick Graham to be a key contributor to defense. And so far, one week in, difficult matchup. He showed that. Yeah, Carter and Blake Martinez, to me, solidified the the middle of that defense. I think the defense played well. We talked about this before. I think you watch that first quarter. You even watch most of the, you know some of the second quarter. They played well. They were they were great against the 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 run. They were getting to, to Ben Roethlisberger at every single turn. I'm excited about what I'm seeing. I think we still need to fine tune some of those snaps. 
I think by week four and week five, we're going to start seeing those numbers get a little bit wider in terms of the margin because there's clearly going to be guys that are separating themselves that prove that they cannot be taken off the field. Yeah, yeah, that that you know, sixty to forty percent snap rate between two players will start to become seventy five twenty five because you want to see guys separating and really uh, claiming positions on the roster, right? So, listen, that's exciting stuff. I think it's one of the things, as I always like to throw out uh, extemporaneous thoughts that maybe come to fruition or not. We can start to try to start to do that where uh, we both track what we're seeing from a rep standpoint on a week to week basis. So we can understand a little bit about where judge Joe judge and this team look to go on both sides of the ball. And then also, as we were speaking so highly about Darius Slayton, I think one of the things that'd be really fun to do is start to go ahead. Doesn't have to be every single player. We can go five and five, maybe offense and defense, the key guys that we want to watch on a week to week basis this season and kind of track our grading for them, right? Coming out of week one, I've got a B plus if I want to leave room for improvement for, for Darius Slayton, right? If I want to see him be more dominant, but that's where he starts week one. Let's go ahead and kind of track that all the way through the season and understand that, you know, especially in a year where it may not be about the wins and losses necessarily. I know fans don't want to hear that, but tracking a player progress and understanding the peaks and valleys, right? Because consistency is important too. So understanding that, if Slayton can show up every single week for 16 games, that's just as important as having one big blow spot. Likewise for a Carter, for a Martinez. And then we'll all obviously, I think this would be a good one to look at too. That's going to be Corey Ballantyne who actually did play 59 snaps in this game. And as frequently as we talked about during the game, Andy, uh, Yaden and how he's getting beaten up a little bit. It's going to hurt and going to sting a little that by the time you get to his number, it's going to go ahead and be the lowest on the totem pole. He only played five snaps in that game. I want to chalk it up to the fact that he got brought in very late and he's trying to get his feet underneath him. But that'll be an interesting one to watch as well, especially a cornerback in the depth. Yeah, I think and as we go through um, and we highlight some of the different players in the offensive and defensive side of the ball, I'm just really glad that you don't have to review Evan Ingram's performance because uh, based on on our recap, you were not too happy with him. I'm going to leave that one on the table, right? That one goes on the cutting room floor, and we'll pick up the action on Ingram in week two. Listen, Andy, as uh, as a good uh, SNL skit once said, and, and I wish I could remember the gentleman's name. I know it's Tim Meadows. I can tell by the empty bottle of Omission Brewing Company Lager. That's all the time we have. You can follow us on social media at One Giant Podcast. I was a ladies' man. Son of a gun. Oh. Son of a gun. The whole bit, the, the, the whole thing would have worked a heck of a lot better if I had remembered the name first, right? That wasn't Come a good on, reference when you don't know who you're talking about. I can tell by the empty bottle of my omission lager. That's all the time we have, friends. Follow us on social media at One Giant Podcast. Go ahead, download, rate, review, and subscribe to it wherever you choose to get your podcast needs fulfilled. We'll be back in highlighting Will from the Chicago Audible podcast as we look ahead to the matchup this weekend with the Bears. Until then, Andy, tell the people what they need to know. They need to know it was a B-minus for Adam on this podcast. But as always, (laughs) let's go Big Blue. Dang.